back to Laser Focus. This, of course, is the Nerdist Deep Dive podcast. My name's Kyle Anderson. Thank you for joining us yet again. Let's just get right into it. I'm really excited for this one. Uh, our guest this week is uh, returning, returning champion, Nerdist longtime staff writer, huge fan of Mission Impossible, which is what we're going to talk about this this time, uh, and specifically Mission Impossible colon, wait, Mission colon Impossible dash Dead Reckoning something part one what there's too much uh i don't think there's any punctuation before part one i think that they by the it's time they got to it they were, part yeah, one. yeah dead reckoning i think they got to the end and they were like you know what enough's enough yes you know that voice that boston twang do they call it a twang <laughs> probably not no it's mikey walsh everybody hey mikey hello i'm glad to be here thank you very much for having me again of course let's just immediately go into npr voice uh, welcome back to I, this neither here nor there, but uh, my favorite one of my favorite running bits on Parks and Rec was Pawnee Public Radio with uh, uh, Derry Murbles <laughs> as as played by Dan Castellaneta. Super weird and dumb and funny. Neither here nor there. We are talking about Mission Impossible uh, Dead Reckoning Part One, a.k.a. Mission Impossible 7. However, we are also going to talk about the franchise as a whole, uh, because I think as probably a lot of you out there did as well before seeing the new one. Um, Mikey and I both watched the franchise again. Um, they're eminently rewatchable. Um, and I think it's really, you know, fascinating to kind of look back at this, this little franchise that could, it, it, it's sort of like it went through all sorts of changes, ups and downs and everything like that. And I think around the time fallout came out, which was a couple years ago, I went, Oh, we're still doing Mission Impossible, huh? And then I was like, oh, it's this is the best movie I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> and so now it's like I, I need to stop forgetting about them. And th- and this time I did not. So anyway, uh, but before we get into that, uh, Mikey is back. So that means uh, he has to pick a different number. And we're going to be doing the nerdy nine as per Mikey, please pick a number between one and nine, except not eight, because that's what you picked last time. All right. In honor of Mission Impossible seven. Let's go with seven. All right. Seven. All right. Number seven, what is your favorite theme song? Oh, this is the easiest question you'll ever ask me. Okay. Perfect Strangers. Perfect Strangers has the greatest theme song in television, movie, literature. Anything you want to make up a theme song for, I'm taking the Perfect Strangers one. I don't even care about second. (laughs) Number one is Perfect Strangers. Number two is nothing. (laughs) Anytime I see somebody who ranks theme songs television theme songs i scroll through it and i don't see the perfect strangers theme song and i'm like it's fine it's just gonna be number one it's just gonna be number one and then i get to number one and it's not there and it's the only time i truly am furious and want to find the person who made the list i mean all of those kind of tgif or or abc you know uh 90 late late 80s early 90s era theme songs were just perfect they were so long and boisterous and like uh way too earnest for their own good and i love them all like but that one I, I do agree is should be remembered better than it than it had. You don't really get to see Perfect Strangers anymore the same way that like Full House or Home Improvement Home Improvement doesn't have a theme song. It's just a tune. Um, or like Family Matters. Those those theme songs keep playing because I think those shows keep playing. But I, I don't remember the last time I saw Perfect Strangers like on TV. Why and why not? I mean, if you've never seen Perfect Strangers, like I, it, it it's great. It's like there's so much crap. Just put on these shows that we can rewatch all the time. We all grew like we're of the age we grew up with reruns, you know, so yeah. we saw all the shows that our parents saw and even our grandparents. Right. Because they were just on. 
They just mm-hmm. played them all the time. And they were great. Let's go. Cousin Larry, let's go. Get him back. Cousin. Cousin Larry. This should be the next Mission Impossible. Ethan Hunt has to get Perfect Strangers back on the air. I like that, actually. That's a f- uh, Balky Bartakamus. And uh, I'm trying to remember like all the, the ins and outs. Th- those two, like Bronson Pinchot. Actually, did you know that Bronson Pinchot now does audiobooks? And he's great. Like he's he's actually does a really good job. He he read one of the um uh Jeff Vandermeer Annihilation what not not Annihilation, he read the second one. But then he he also like narrates a bunch of Lovecraft and like Stephen King. Like he's got a good voice for like scary, weirdly enough. And you wouldn't even know it's him based on, you know, um his performances or anything like that. But Marklin Baker, uh, uh, who played cousin Larry, of course, uh, has showed up a few times on ghosts, um, CBS show ghosts. And this is really funny. And is also she Hulk's dad. So that's fun. And I will say just in case somebody's listening to this and is, is yelling right now, not only is perfect strangers, the greatest theme song ever. It was used by my favorite show ever. The leftovers, the leftovers use the perfect strangers theme song in an episode, and it is one of the most effective openings to a television episode you will ever see in your life. So please don't send me the emails. I know about it. It's my favorite. It's the best. It's the best of the best with the best. So, wow. All right. Well, that was much easier and quicker than I expected, but good. <laughs> I, I, if I, I assumed that you have like a knee jerk, uh, like answer to almost all of these questions that I'm going to ask you. So I, I overthink everything. So yeah, I, yeah. Well, hey, that's perfect for this show, Lazy Focus. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's dive right into it. Um, if you have any questions at any point for uh, Mikey or any of our guests, please email us at laserfocus at nerdist.com. Uh, and in future episodes, we will answer those uh, questions. Um, but for right now, uh, we are getting into Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, um, the seventh uh, penultimate, I'm assuming. I think they're planning that eight is going to be the last one. Dead yeah, Tom Cruise has started talking about wanting to do these movies for another 25 years. And I'm always I'm always very reluctant to think anything's going to be the end when they keep making money. And that's true. They're clearly fun to make, you know, like, oh, yeah. let's just fly around the world and go to these amazing locations. So, yeah, I think part two is supposed to be the last one. And I would put zero dollars on that. Actually <laughs> being The last one I but do just turn. I mean, I. I'm not going to say that like uh, he's going to hang up his boots or anything like that, but like dude just turned 61 um, and he is also, you know, uh, a world renowned weirdo. So like he probably wants to continue, but you're right. Like th- these movies are fun to make. They, they look fun. They make a ton of money. People, fr- that's the other thing is like, I think after Top Gun Maverick, people were like, Oh yeah. Tom Cruise is like still a movie star. He is, he can open a movie just on star power alone and nostalgia factor. Obviously Tom top gun had that, but like, um, I think a lot of directors can do that nowadays, but like actors, not as much as they used to maybe Vin Diesel, but like, that's really only the fast that it's franchise. Yeah. That's, that's franchise based. I I mean, if he was announced that he was doing a space movie tomorrow, I I don't know if it would necessarily be successful just because Vin Diesel was in it. You know what I mean? But, but I mean, in terms of franchises, yeah, it, the Fast franchise applies. But I, I think Tom Cruise has definitely sort of entered this very singular sphere of what a star can do. Um, you know, when we were younger, there were more like that. You know, Will Smith could open any movie, you know, for 15 years or so like that. And 
you know, it was just a, it was just something that you don't see. Um, it is, it is interesting that, you know, that you're right. I think directors are almost the bigger name now, you know, like we're, we're days away from Oppenheimer coming. I don't yeah. know if there would be, I don't know if there would be the kind of hype for that movie. If it was anybody besides Christopher Nolan, you know? Uh, no, I completely agree. I think, I think Nolan alone, uh, is the reason that people are, I mean, it does look like a good movie, but also like a, a movie about the creation of the, the atom bomb does not seem like a movie everyone would want to go see. But the fact that it's Christopher Nolan and the fact that like, I mean, Dunkirk was amazing. Like Dunkirk might be top three of his movies for me. Like I thought it was really well done. Um, so I'm hoping it'll be a little more in that vein. I mean, it will be, of course, it's a historical drama or whatever, but like um, uh, by the time you hear this, folks, I will have already seen it. But right now I haven't seen it. So um uh, we live in a weird uh, Schrodinger's universe where it's either a good movie or a bad movie or might be both. Um, but yeah, I, and like, you know, uh, I think Barbie by Greta Gerwig is much more interesting than just Barbie by itself. Do you know what I mean? Like, absolutely. And I, and I don't know if it's like, cause we're kind of like on, you know, nerd Twitter, film Twitter kind of stuff. I wonder if it's going to both, either of these movies are going to translate to, big box office the way that I do think that mission impossible seven will, because it's a, it's a tested franchise. It's a huge star and it's like, uh, the last two have been truly outstanding, like, which we'll get into in a little while. And the reviews and the reviews are also, you know, and I think this is, I think this is something maybe we sometimes overlook or, or and I don't even mean, we, I mean, just kind of in general is, you know, it's expensive to go to the movies now, right? I mean, it's not a cheap night Mm -mm. and, People have uh, to make the decision, you know, do I want to go and spend this money to go to a theater or do I rather just watch something at home with one of my 15 streaming services? And a lot of times I think, hey, I heard this movie's awesome. All the critics say this movie's great. Okay, that's the one I'm going to go versus, well, it's kind of got middling reviews, so maybe I'll stay home. You know, we, we could like we're talking about like this has been a, a really weird summer so far. You know, the Flash is looking to be like a, a historic bomb. Mm-hmm. Dial of Destiny, which seemed like it had everything going for it, is it looks like it may be lucky to break even considering mm-hmm. the outrageous, unnecessary budget. Um, and one of those movies had mediocre reviews and the other movie had mediocre reviews. And I and I think that one thing that Mission Impossible is going to have going for it, in addition to the star power of Tom Cruise's. It's great. Yeah. It's awesome. The movie rules. Ever since they started naming them instead of giving them numbers, it's a totally different franchise and it's it's probably the best in Hollywood. And that's just such a big factor and it leans into it, you know, like Top Gun Maverick. Like you said the Top Gun Maverick was just a just a monster success, right? Just yeah. b- a billion dollar movie for for in especially when we see all these legacy sequels that don't do that, right? Like I think Blade Runner 2049 is is genuinely yeah. a, masterpiece. a masterpiece and it made yeah, and it made no money because a lot of the people who go to theaters now have never seen the original but what happened is top gun maverick came out and the reviews were like hey this movie rules this movie rules and people were like okay great that's all i want you know i want and i want to see something it, it, this is i think something tom cruise really gets and um he puts something that the bigger the screen the the more exciting it is to to see it you yes. know and and that's something that's very different and you know i'm i i want movies to succeed i want to see all types of movies as much as i can 
but you know, I have responsibilities. I can't just be going four nights a week. So sometimes I have to be like, well, I can watch that on my, on my TV in three months and I'll do that. Whereas if you can, and I get not everybody can, I'm not trying to be insensitive. If you can see mission impossible seven, if you can see dead reckoning part one on the biggest screen available to you, do it because it enhances the experience. Same as, as top gun Maverick. Yeah, they make these movies and I guess that like the the Nolanness of it too kind of factors in. They specifically make these movies for the biggest screens and for the movie theaters and and on film. They still actually shoot them like for the most part on film like um and there is it's weird that that's kind of stuff is like a cachet these days and not just the norm but but that's just, you know, that is the way it is these days where there are not um it is cheaper to shoot on digital. And um, because of that, they sort of make these movies kind of optimized for home viewing because that's, you know, streaming or whatever. They, they get more lucrative deals that way, even though people still like hang on to the idea. And, and I, you know, I want to go to the movie theaters. I love the movie theaters um, that like you need to have a certain. But the, the window of success in a theater run, a theatrical run is so much smaller than it used to be. For a number of reasons, but not least because they go to streaming so fast now, um, either um, like rent from Amazon or whatever at home or to a service or something like that, um, where it's it's very rare for something like Spider-Verse, which you and I talked about in our first episode, um, to be number one at the box office, then not be number one and then back to number one again. Like that is incredibly rare anymore. Um, and to have that kind of like longevity in the box office and to your earlier point, the, the movies that came out in the interim aren't as good. So like the flash and, um, it transformers like absolutely bombed transformers, uh, rise of the beasts. I, I already forgot. I already forgot that movie came out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I reviewed that one. It's the only reason I remember that one. <laughs> I think, I think, I think I covered three or four of tra- those trailers and I already forgot that movie existed. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that opened at number three or four, like it definitely did not do very well, but, um, but yeah, I think that if any movie this summer has the potential to do that, it's, it's absolutely mission impossible, uh, seven. And I think it's, it's also worth noting that they moved the Marvels was supposed to come out like two weeks ago or something like that sometime in late June, maybe even mid July, something like that. Um, and they moved it to the fall because I think they realized who knows why maybe they didn't want to get in the way of indiana jones who who knows what they don't want since it's all kind of under the same umbrella um but that kind of just gave way for this big this movie that i think is going to and actually oppenheimer and barbie i think all three of them are actually going to make quite a bit of money yeah Um, i think this has a chance to be like we haven't seen either of those other two movies uh uh, yet but I, I think if they're as good as we hope they're going to be, that we have this has a chance to be like one of those special months where we look back 10 years and be like, wow, July 2023. That was incredible. Look at the three movies we got in just a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's absolutely it's 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 amazing to me that we have these and they're not not to say that Barbie is not a franchise, but um, it's that, a weird thing. It's it, it's, it's not weird, a franchise, yeah. but it's 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 Barbie. You know, like exactly who's got, I mean, the only way this movie could have any better brand recognition is what was called Coca-Cola, you know, like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) which by the way, I'm, we're probably three years away from Coca-Cola, the movie. Well, I'm I'm sure there will be, there's some movie in the works about the creation of new Coke or something like that, because they just keep making, um, 
kind of these brand uh, historical biopics. Um, anyway, I neither here nor there. I think that, that that's such a cynical and, and cruddy uh, f- movement in film. But regardless, so let's really get into Mission Possible Dead Reckoning Part One. Um, you know, I don't want to like I, it is great. I'm not going to I'm not going to say it's not great. I think you liked it more than I did. I still put it in my top top, you know, ones. But of the three Macquarie movies, it's my least favorite right now. I'm not going to say it's but because I think that the the tone of it is much grimmer for the most part uh, as it's setting up all these things, obviously. And spoilers, this is this, this is a spoilery show. So I'm just going to say that out of the way. But like the fact that a major character dies um, and I think unwarranted, but we can talk about whether or not that's actually going to stick. The oh, more we're going to get it, the we're going to get into that. The more I think about it, the less I think it's actually going to stick. But um. Uh, and then like the comedy in it felt like we, we need to put something funny in this. And so like, it's, it's even sillier than it normally is. Um, intentionally funny in the the way Macquarie's previous two installments are not, not that they're never funny, but this is intentionally funny at multiple points. I mean, it opens with kind of a weird debriefing where Carrie Elwes's character is kind of learning what the IMF is, or at least what currently is going on with it and you have all these different people who we'd never other than kittredge who's back from the first movie henry cherney um we don't we've never seen them before but one of them is rob delaney and when he showed up uh people just laugh he's in a general's uniform he's not doing anything funny and yet yeah. everybody just laughed because it's rob delaney yeah <laughs> so as they should do it in this rob delaney's <laughs> always funny just existent existing he's funny was what was uh, I, I still don't think it, it lives up to the speaking of Greta Gerwig, the sh- absolute shock when I saw Bo- Bob Odenkirk as the father in Little Women. <laughs> he just comes in. You're like, why is Bob? And it's just like, is this this looks like it could have been a Mr. Show parody of him, like in, the, in Civil War uniform. I, I think that's kind of why it works for me, uh, you know, yeah. because this this movie uh, and, you know, bringing back Kit Ridge, Kit, Kit Ridge is it's not stunt casting um, or anything like that. It's that there are this movie is he is, you know, Ethan specifically says something about how the, you know, we tend to repeat the mistakes of the past. Right. And this is, this is a movie about how your past is always going to catch up with you one way or the other and, and not even catch up, but you can't escape it. Right. Because they talk about how they all entered into this life. There was a moment where they had to make a decision and they made the decision to do this. And that decision defines who they are. Just like, you know, Gabriel killing this this woman kind of defines everything Ethan became. Um, so I that was it I, I completely agree. It does have a little bit of a feel of like a sketch, like you're doing like a, a almost like a, a parody of a Mission Impossible scene. The thing is, it's so well done. Yeah. Like the two of them after, I mean, the original came out in 1996, right? So we're talking, it's been almost 25 years since they filmed together and they still had the chemistry, the on-screen chemistry and the tension. And it was so entertaining, especially because, you know, I, I, I've been keeping track and I know we're going to talk about Ethan's greatest moments. I've been keeping track of Ethan Hunt's greatest moments in these movies. And that scene is one of my favorites ever with him because it's so funny and it's everything we love about the character, about how... He just will do anything. There's no place he cannot be. There's nobody he cannot <laughs> sue, right? Like that warning from Alec Baldwin a couple of movies ago. And it's just funny. It's just funny. And I, I love it. So, you know, I agree. Like it, it can, you know, I think a lot of this, like you said, I like it a little bit more than you. 
I really think ever since they started naming these movies with with um, four, five, six, and seven, that they're all essentially very much the same quality. And I think a lot of times it just comes down to personal preference of like, totally. I like these characters. I like this plot. I like these action sequences. And for whatever reason, this one absolutely clicked with me immediately. Uh, and I think it's just because even though even though sometimes the humor does feel, I don't want to say forced, but you can kind of you can kind of see the strings being pulled. Yeah, uh, it's not the most natural. It's really funny. So at the same time, I'm like, I'm being entertained. This is all I want. I just want to be entertained by these people in this movie. I what I find really interesting about this one because you're completely right it is just a, an interest uh, uh, entertaining movie what I find really interesting about this one is that because I mean, all, all of the movies are sort of like uh, in the James Bond vein science fiction where there's like there's gadgetry that doesn't really exist but these people get it or whatever whereas Wait, the, the, the mask thing doesn't exist I mean masks exist I'm not those are very old <laughs> but the uh, 3d printing perfect it's actually the actor <laughs> playing them. Um, that doesn't exist that I know of. Um, but this one goes hard into sci-fi in a way that I was not expecting because the, 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 uh, the MacGuffin of this one is this, the key that controls the entity, which they say so many times, especially Ving Rhames. And I just find it every time he says it, it makes me laugh. Um, but this key that can control this AI that is in way, incredibly powerful can do anything basically it can hack any phone or any um camera and also can hide or like change what people see like on the surveillance thing so it basically controls the truth whoever controls the entity controls truth um and gabriel is like has been chosen as it's played by isai morales by the way who is really good in this oh like, he's so good he's, he's so good in this He's ethereal enough that I think it it sort of works, and and the fact that he was chosen by this this AI to um, kind of be his, you know, his foot soldier or whatever, and is like a true believer in like the the nihilism of this this entity, and also like at one point he sneaks aboard this train. It's at the end of the movie. He gets on the train. They open like a crate, and Isa Morales is just in there wearing a helmet that is just feeding the algorithm into his brain, like all of the, the, um, so effectively he can, he knows the predictions of the future that the entity have made for him. I, I was just like, Oh, that we were just really going science fiction with this. Like, and the opening sequence with the Russian sub is really good. Like, and, and creepy. And you're just like, wait, what's going on? So, uh, what did you think about the entity as a, as a thing, as an entity? Well, I think the, the entity's chosen messiah is as they call yeah. <laughs> call him is is the the scarier of the two because you know they, this is a this is something the mystery impossible movies have just gotten so right they just give us enough yeah. they give us what we need we don't have this big backstory uh, backstory of who gabriel is like we don't know all of his motivations we just ha have the one motivation we need which is that he views death as a gift Great. All right. He wants to work with the death machine. Um, and, and that's all I need from him. He He's this stylish, deadly assassin who's so deadly that Ethan Hunt's even afraid of him mm -hmm. and what he's capable of. As for the entity, I, this, is, this, this has the potential in a couple of years to really make me look stupid. <laughs> so, but, but I'm going to go ready. out there. I'm not totally convinced that the entity is as villainous as... Mm. 
as the movie wants us to believe. You know, it's it's playing around with Benji and the the fake bomb, and they're talking about how it's already infiltrated every system in the world, basically. And it's like, what did it do with it? It's like nothing. It's just kind of hanging out. It just wants us to know it's there. And it makes me think that if the entity is really as brilliant, uh, this this artificial intelligence as we think, that it would be a lot smarter than us. So I, I'm not totally convinced. I'm not convinced it's good. I'm just not convinced it's quite as evil as maybe we, we need to make it out to be, which I think makes it more interesting. And when I when I rewatch this movie, which I plan to do many times, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out when that thought's in your head. Because it wasn't necessarily there immediately. It's it's more something I've just been thinking about. So I it at the at the very least, what it's capable of is absolutely terrifying. You know, mm. it's it's the version of AI that all of the 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 news stories, the the fear mongering news stories would like us to believe are possible, but isn't. Uh, so it it really, you know, it's tough to it's tough to keep upping the ante with these these films, and somehow the franchise is finding ways to do it that makes sense. You know, and it's it's the, interesting to, too that they it seems like this is an incredibly topical thing, and yet this movie was made long well before the AI like um deluge sort of happened um because that only happened within the last year Re- i mean ai has been around for in some fashion a while and certainly in fiction ais have been the are they good or are they evil like that's been kind of a thing in sci-fi for a really long time but it's it's when they started and it was like oh it's a it's some sort of artificial intelligence is the the thing in this one i was like how did they know? <laughs> Do they have an AI that predicted AI? Well, I said it. I said in my review at Nerdist that I'm not totally convinced that the the deluge of stories for the last year isn't a part of a viral marketing campaign for the movie because it's just it's like how could they possibly have asked for better, yeah. better like campaign? It's so. I mean, good for them, but like they really hit, and then I think might make the movie you know hit harder for a lot of people too because it's just like oh yeah this is really um something that could happen and it's and it's not as far as we know uh the movie doesn't present it as like a robot like you know what i mean like or uh in i in i robot or something like that where it's it's a humanoid kind of thinking machine um it's or ex machina i guess is a good example where like the the idea is that it's supposed to, you know, can it pass the Turing test? Uh, the entity is not trying to pass the Turing test. It just says, I know more than you. So I'm going to uh, do what, whatever I want to. And like, uh, I've chosen this assassin to kind of carry out my whims and things like that. I think you might, I mean, it's possible that the entity is not th- the true villain of the piece. Um, but uh, as with most, I think AI, as we've seen, actually, AI is kind of amoral as well. Like they don't, they have to be programmed to do things. Uh, I guess what I should say is like, they learn from humans and humans are awful. <laughs> so like, um, uh, we should not expect better of our machines that are, that are designed to learn from us. So it's, you know, who knows it's possible, but um, it's, it's mission impossible. Mm, there I, we I, go. Sure. Yeah. Everybody drink. Please. <laughs> so you can forget that last sentence I <laughs> went off the rails. Um, yeah. So uh, that was really great. Um, I also think that um, Ethan Hunt kind of realizing 
the gravity of the situation. Cause you're right at the beginning, he, he shows up, he talks to Kittredge, he's knocked everybody out. Like he, he is on top of the world and I, and, and like, he can do whatever he wants. He gets, and he, he, you know, he gets to Ilsa so fast. He, he basically figures everything out. And then as soon as he kind of, which is kind of the, the way in all of these movies, something happens that, that kind of puts him on his back foot and he is, uh, kind of running scared or at least, um, off the grid or whatever for a good chunk of the movie. And then once he kind of understands the the gravity of everything. He's like, okay, everybody, we're done. This is not, we can't do this anymore. Um, they of course all come back cause it's the IMF. And, uh, <laughs> still though, anytime, anytime Ethan hunt calls an abort, it's, yeah. it's a genuinely terrifying moment. Like yeah. in, in terms of suspense, Ethan hunt being afraid and being yeah. like, stop what we're doing and run away. You're like, okay, this is serious. I need to, I need to take this as seriously as he is. Absolutely. I find it. Uh, yeah. And because, you know, w- watching these, the previous movies and we'll get into it a little bit um, in a bit, but my wife and I watched them not in full sequence. We went back after we watched seven and watched the first one. And so seeing Ethan Hunt being like, you know, a, a brash young, you know, agent being like, no, we will not abort. We will finish this mission and stuff like that. And that's just kind of how it, he appears for so much of the the films. And in this one, he's like, He's the elder statesman, and he's like, "Nope, I, uh, I love the line. It was in the trailer, but where he's like, um, no, my life matters way less to me than any of your lives, and so I will never do anything to put your lives ahead of mine. And it's just, or the opposite, put my life ahead of yours. Uh, and it's just like that is Ethan Hunt, like all over. He is not, he's not the kind of hero that will just like, he's not reckless. I mean, he's." he's daring and sort of um, he does things he's a little reckless. I mean, he's, he's just not reckless. with other. Yeah. Just not with other people's lives. He's a, Re- he's a he's little reckless, reckless with his own. He's sort of, yeah. you could, you could easily say that he kind of has like a weird death wish. But what, what I find interesting is that um, because uh, just of who Gabriel is and all we see in the flashback is Gabriel shoots someone and he, and just based on that alone, we know that this is the scariest person that Ethan has ever had to deal with. Like the, the, the rage that he has in that scene where they're all in, uh, the white widows kind of club or whatever. And the um, doji's palace. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just like, Oh my gosh. Like, and it's, it's like, you really don't, you haven't seen that since the first movie really, where he's like angry. Um, you know, Mr. Kittredge, you've never seen me very upset. I love that line everything <laughs> so much um but yeah like um this is very i mean they're all kind of ethan movies like that's that's a big thing but i think um hey it could be argued this is Haley atwell's movie do you know what i mean like she is she's the the rookie and we haven't seen a new recruit into the imf maybe since ghost protocol like um yeah well the team the team changed a lot after four yeah, I th- but I think, yeah, so I think in Ghost Protocols when we kind of, you know, Ilsa is definitely the big, big new member. Well, yeah, Ghost Protocol is interesting because that was, they initially made that to kind of uh, let Tom Cruise leave and have Jeremy Renner I, be it, the new hero. If people don't know this, they they genuinely were going to, the plan was to move the Mission Impossible franchise away from Tom Cruise to Jeremy Renner. Yep. 
Now I'm not I'm I I am not a Jeremy Renner Renner hater. I love his character in the franchise. Sure. But just think about if they had followed through. Guess what? We would not be talking about Mission Impossible Seven right now. It would not exist. I mean, it's arguable that the Bourne franchise, which shouldn't have tried to exist after the trilogy, but um, it, you know that was not a smart move to try to be like, well, let's give it to somebody else and have it be Jeremy Renner. And it's like, uh, I, I'm with you. I like him in in those movies, but in Ghost Ghost Protocol, he, they are definitely like positioning him by the end of that movie to be the the good guy, you know, the main hero or whatever. And I love the fact that they didn't do that because then you get the three Macquarie movies, which I think are far and away the best three, like um, so far. Uh, I, I can't imagine the Mission Impossible eight is going to be worse. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like no, I, I, worse. at this point, I keep expecting them to take a dip because I, 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 I put four in the same category as is five, six and seven. Um, it's a mm. different type of movie, but uh, I, I think it's just the same level of quality. But the I keep expecting them not to live up to this. Right. I, I went into Dead Reckoning being like, what are the chances they do this four times in a row? And then they delivered what I think we're going to seriously, you know, with a little bit of time debate if it ends up if it's the best one um, on with repeat, you know, because we, we're talking about these movies. We've seen the other ones so many times now with repeat right. viewings, you know, Um so yeah, I'm gonna go into part two now. The complete opposite. I'm gonna go into part two and be like, this is probably gonna be the best one. This, <laughs> I just they're not gonna doubt these guys anymore. They they figured it out. Uh, they they broke this code. They it's just you know, you, you see these franchises that even when they reach the highest of heights, right? Like the the Dark Knight trilogy, right? We go back to our Christopher Nolan, who's apparently on our minds, right? You, you Batman begins in the Dark Knight, and then the Dark Knight Rises just doesn't. Even if you like those, I don't think anybody's going to argue that it really comes close to the level of those two. It's just really hard to make these. It's really yeah. hard to 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 you know you can you can bring back the exact same creative team, and sometimes just that special secret sauce just doesn't come together. And somehow Mission Impossible keeps doing it, just keeps doing it, and it defies expectations, and it defies the history of Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Uh and it's like I was saying earlier, it is the little franchise that could because like it, it was so weird for such a long time. And so kind of just, it was so as, as the initial idea was, it was so kind of cr- director based and, and that really shines through in the first three that based on who is directing, they're completely, you know, different and off the wall and everything like that. But I think once, um, Macquarie came in and they kind of went, well, let's, let's kind of form these a little more into a cohesive always up the ante and make them kind of different um, visually and everything like that, or, or as much as they can with um, locales and everything, but like, let's actually like hone this into a good solid story all the way through where it's not just standalone missions, which I actually think are fun. You know what I mean? Like the, the standaloneness of a lot of these, but it's the characters weaving in and out that kind of make them, um, more exciting or more interesting. Um, the fact that, you know, the fact that Simon Pegg basically was in the third one, just as, just because JJ Abrams liked, um, Shaun of the dead and was just like, Hey, do you want to be this little character? And then be, as his star kind of grew, he became more of like a, and now you wouldn't exp- like, I can't imagine a, a mission Impossible movie without Benji or, and then Luther has been in every single one. I mean, he's barely in, 
four, right? He's it's interesting to me to watch this one where it's like, and that's kind of why I was upset that it seemed like they just killed off Ilsa because I loved her. First of all, she, I think she's yeah. a really great character. Um, and I thought her, um, relationship with Ethan was so fascinating because it's like they get each other in a way that nobody else kind of does. They're both assassins. They often work against each other based on, or not, he's not an assassin. You know what I mean? Like spy agent, whatever. Um, they work against each other quite a bit, but they also like clearly have, you know, affection for each other and everything like that. It seemed like she was kind of positioned at the beginning. Oh, we're going to kill her off. Uh, just kidding. We didn't kill her off. And then it's like, now nah, we are. And so that bummed me out because it seems like for most of these movies, it's, Tom Cruise, uh, uh, Simon Pegg, uh, Ving Rhames, and Hot Girl. Do you know what I mean? And, <laughs> yeah, and that's, yeah, yeah. I find that, and not to say that any of them have done a bad job, but it's just like, what are we doing? Why does this continue to be the thing? Like, well, we're going to need a new model of Hot Girl. And then it's like, Haley Atwell comes in. I, I, that's my cynical brain talking, but like definitely at the, at, when they're like talking to grace to try to like get her to join the mission and everything like that. And it's just like, it's these three old farts talking to this woman to try to like get her to join. I, I don't know. Um, that was part of the reason that this one kind of was lower for me because like, and I guess let's get into it, but like y- you don't believe Ilsa is actually gone. All right. I'm going to try to make you feel better. All right. Thanks. And hey, for, thanks. For, yeah. All right. This is, this is why I'm here. That and entertainment. Um, Those are your two things. Okay. All right. So in the moment, in the moment, I thought it was necessary for the movie to kill somebody off if it wanted to have the stakes that it was telling us were there. Okay. So somebody had to go. And it was only really going to mean something if it was one of the three closest people to Ethan. Well, sure. And I didn't think it was going to be Ving Rhames because I think they want him to be in every movie as a little bit of reward of being there since day one. Um, So then it's either her or Benji. All right. What if, though, they didn't actually kill anybody off? They wanted the emotional impact of that moment without actually doing it. Well, what are the clues that she's alive? Okay. So we already talked about this a little bit. This one, this movie really call has a lot of callbacks to the first film. Very mm-hmm. intentional callbacks to the past and specifically the first film having Kit, Kit Ridge come back. Well, what what is the... Uh, what is one of the main things that happens in the first movie? Somebody pretends that they died on a bridge. Jim Phelps, the villain of the first movie, fakes his own death by being by pretending he's stabbed on a bridge, right? Okay. How many women has Ethan ever truly cared about in, in a meaningful way? We're told in Fallout by Luther, he's only ever thought about two women that way, Julia and Ilsa. Well, what did Ethan do to keep Julia safe he faked her death Mm -hmm. what is ethan hunt especially good at anticipating what's going to happen and faking somebody out if there's anybody who could outthink the entity as crazy as that sounds in these movies ethan hunt is capable (laughs) of it right so if you're if you're ethan which I'm you not. know you're you're not okay. Well, well, I don't know. Maybe you you were a little suspicious about that face mask technology. Um, it's it, not real. I swear, it's not real. If you're Ethan and you've been desperately trying to keep Ilsa out of everything to keep her safe, and she won't do it, you could go into that meeting knowing somebody's probably not walking out of this. So how can I turn this to my advantage the way he has done so many other times in these movies, which he just did in the last one with Walker, right? He he anticipated everything going on with August That's Walker true. and. And 
So if you wanted to both remove Ilsa from the situation, but also kind of have somebody around to help you that nobody was even nobody even knew. Gabriel has no ideas around helping you. You make sure she knows that you have to fake her death if the situation comes up. Mm. And it wasn't like, you know, we've seen we've seen these characters su- survive blast and, you know, Ethan drove a car off a lift and pretended like the airbag was going to save him. You know, like that stuff, that stuff works <laughs> yeah. in these movies, right? The, the yeah. physics don't totally apply. So if you're looking at this and, you know, the other thing too is like, if she is dead, it makes sense that he so quickly moves on from her death because there's no time to stop and grieve. Sure. But if she's alive, it also makes sense that he doesn't really stop to grieve because he doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just like this is part of his plan. And I don't think you can rule this out because you can never rule out anything with Ethan Hunt. He's always so much further ahead than you think he is. Yeah. And, and I will say that, like, one of the big things that goes toward your um, hypothesis is that it's, it's not the end of the story. There's another part coming up. And so for this and I don't think it'll like. Uh, it would undo the the impact because actually, so here's the thing: the impact f- uh, of Ilsa dying is for us, right? It's it's, mm-hmm. um, but it's also for Grace. Mm-hmm. If Ilsa dies, and and sh- and Grace knows that Ilsa died, pr- like trying to protect her, then that is more kind of like incentive for her to join the IMF or to help them out because she feels guilty, and that's kind of like something one of the few things that ethan has found out is that like she's sort of you know she does she does whatever she wants she doesn't really care she steals from people she doesn't doesn't bother her that much but people doing things for her that she doesn't think they doesn't expect them to do really get hits her because she's sort of been alone for such a long time we're, we're led to believe so i think that there there is definitely room for that also like like the scene is good like obviously rebecca ferguson's outstanding as the character and in just in in general. Um, but she's so kind of downplayed in the film that it felt kind of anticlimactic for her to be, because it was like, obviously it's her. Not only is it set up earlier where like Gabriel says, one of these women is going to die and, and it's up to you to choose who it is basically. Um, not only that, but like, uh, they're not going to kill off Simon Pegg. He's, he's the tech guy. They're not going to kill off Ving Rhames. Like you said, he's the one who's been around forever, but he's also, well, I guess he's also a tech guy. They're both tech guys. Um, yeah, no, but your your point stands because they're different type of tech guys, and and Luther is the one who's going to figure out how to actually stop right. the entity. He, like he, he pieces out before yeah. the last act of the movie because he's like, I'm going to figure this out, and I, it's very possible that it's they all knew that Ilsa wasn't dead uh, because it is for Grace's benefit and and also for Gabriel's benefit um, and possibly the entity as well, but like. But maybe that's another thing to your point about the entity not being evil. It, if it knows that far ahead and maybe Ethan knows that far ahead, he's only just ahead of Gabriel and and the entity is like, well, this was obviously what I had expected to happen. So anyway, there's any number of things. Where, that's another thing I love about these movies is like who's who's playing who at any given moment, um, because oh, what an exhausting existence, right? Like you just never know if the person you're, wh- whose face and voice is exactly yeah. what you were expecting. Yeah, I, I think about that all the time. Like, how do these people walk around and do anything? Like, I just be well, pulling everyone's. Every time I met a friend, I just be pulling at their neck. 
Well, that's like that's like Shea Wiggum in this movie. Shea Wiggum in this movie is outstanding. As, oh, as... we could be saying that about literally any movie he's I... in. Even the movies I don't like, Shea Wiggum. Once, yeah. What a surprise, folks. Shea Wiggum is great. But when they're in that whole airport sequence is excellent. But like he's just going around like pulling at people's faces. He's just like because he's, so he's smart. He's yeah. smart. That's what you got to start doing. You got to put start pulling at necks. Yeah. Sorry. Got to make sure you don't have a mask on. <laughs> Uh, and he falls into one of the uh, various characters throughout the franchise who are a, a, a opposed to Ethan because they work for a different organization that doesn't trust the IMF. Because, uh, I mean, on paper, and they ma- make this point a million times, the IMF is is should not exist. <laughs> it is. No. It does things that by any government bureaucracy would go. This is wa- wasting so much money. It's incredibly dangerous. It's inefficient, and we don't have oversight over it. So, like, th- this should not happen. Um, and yet, it, obviously, it they're always the winners at the end of everything. But, um, but throughout the whole movie, you're like, he's an antagonist, and then at the end, he, he basically kind of, you know, tells Kittredge to, Kittredge to mind his own business, and it's just like that's fun. I, I I like that. He understands that Ethan is integral to something that's going on. But he doesn't necessarily want to, you know, play by those, you know, or he wants Ethan to play by the rules, I guess is what um, he, he's not, which is funny, too, because like Alec Baldwin's character was so anti Ethan Hunt and then he becomes the secretary at the end of five. <laughs> uh, I feel like I feel like if I was skeptical of a person and then they l- save the literal world, I yeah. might I'd probably be like, all right. All right. I guess you won me over. Yeah. So you just you just really need to be around Ethan long enough for him to win you over. Yeah, that's same can be said for the Daniel Craig James Bonds also, where like everybody who comes in is like, what are you doing? And then like, oh, hey, you saved the world. Good for you. <laughs> uh, speaking of everyone, you never know who anybody is. I, I got to throw something at you because I never know. if. Well, I don't know if these things are like just because you have a thought. Is it smart or is it obvious? And everyone's like, yeah, no, obviously. Duh, dummy. OK. OK. So Gabriel kills someone in Ethan's past. I think her name's uh, Marie. Sure. Yeah, I think that's right. OK. New woman in Ethan's life on her own for a long time. He is strangely obsessed with keeping her safe. I'm I'm not saying he doesn't want to keep her safe, but like he is he 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 treats her like she's the most important person in the world. Is that Marie's daughter? Is Ooh, Grace Marie's daughter? Because once again, Ethan is always so far ahead of us and so far ahead of everybody else. Is it possible that that's why? He really works hard to keep her safe, even at times when it would have made more sense to just get her key and leave her alone. I mean, it's it's definitely possible. I uh, I mean, anything's possible in these movies. Um, yeah, I mean, sure. It sure could. And it would also like tie into the whole Marie aspect of it, because like that, that really was not developed to uh, I, I'm assuming it will be in the next film, at least explained. And maybe that's why it wasn't explained is because they're holding off that reveal. I could see that. I'm not, I'm not saying it's it's not going to happen. Um, I would actually kind of enjoy that because that means that like, uh, yeah, you're right. Like there is some sort of reason behind it. Um, yeah, just get the key. He doesn't yeah. need her. He doesn't need her. But it's almost like he it, it's almost like he wants to keep her close when mm-hmm. it would just be so much easier to neutralize her and take the key, mm-hmm. the piece of the key. So I, that was definitely I walked out of that being like, boy, that sure was. 
suspicious that we had this new character who's been alone on her own for a long time that Ethan took care of. And we also saw somebody else die years and years ago. Mm -hmm. Mm. All right, let's we'll, we'll revisit that one next year when we have our episode about Dead Reckoning Part Two. Is it coming uh, out next year? I think so. Because they're, they're not done filming. Oh, maybe. Hang on a sec. Yeah, they. I, I just saw um, McQuarrie was saying that they have like the single biggest set piece they've ever planned, <laughs> but they can't do it because of the writer's strike. So we right. we could be. I hate it. We could be. I want this. I want the movie now. The well, first one. The, the, part one has even hasn't even officially come out. And I'm like, give me part two. Yeah, that's true. Um, so let's before we um, take a break and, and talk about just the franchise as a whole, let's talk about some of our favorite action set pieces from this movie. There are a million of them, but I think the two that really stand out for me are the car chase, um, which basically plays out like a Jackie Chan like chase. Like it's a little tiny car. They're cuffed to each other and also the car itself. And um, and it's, you know, it's much sillier, I guess, but still really exciting. And then, of course, the amazing train derailment sequence, which is, you know what? I take that back. There's three because there's him <laughs> driving a motorcycle off a cliff and landing on the train, I think, was also pretty, pretty See, great. It's funny because when you said like the, the two favorite, I kept waiting for you to say everything that happens at the airport. I mean, because I know yeah. I, I know it's not like it, it doesn't have the um, the level of stunts as the other ones. But it it does that thing that I love in these Mission Impossible movies where it combines all of the best stuff. So there's this big plan and there's tension and you have to solve a problem while you're also solving another problem and you're being chased. And then I know it's I know we joke around about it, but, you know, there are some great Ethan Hunt runs. And this movie gives you one of them when he's running through the airport. It's just, you know, it, the way they film them, too, they're just very pleasing. They're aesthetically yes. pleasing to look at. Like, believe me, in this franchise, just because Ethan runs does not make it exciting. We call that Mission Impossible 3. Uh, right. But but there are times when it's it feels like the coolest thing in the world, and this movie delivers it. So you talk about, like, these set pieces. It, it's really, like, three big ones, plus the single best stunt is him driving a motorcycle off a cliff. Yeah. One just like, I mean, uh, the, uh, the close, literally close quarters, um, fist fight with Paul Clementiev and, and that other guy, which is like in such a narrow, like alleyway. And it's like, so brutal. This, uh, I think, uh, rogue nation has a really good brutal fist fight where like at the beginning when Ethan's tied up, uh and the butcher and like um follow Russell. too follow bathroom well. one is really like yeah they it's, yeah man, they like, do them well they do them well you don't think of it like that you don't no. think that of these movies as like great fist fight movies because everything else take overtakes them but this like you said yeah you're right the this alleyway fight it's, it's really unique it's so narrow and it's so brutal and it works it's so good yeah and it matters by the way it ends up mattering in the plot yeah yeah you know they don't that's that's the other thing about these films the scripts are tight. Yeah, there's some. They're long, but everything really matters. It they pay off. You know, a decision a character makes here, which just seems like, oh, okay, that's a decision they make. Nope, that that matters. There's a reason we saw that happen. Well, I mean, like it's worth remembering. Christ Christopher McQuarrie won an Oscar for writing one of the twistiest movies ever made, which is The Usual Suspects. So, like. He 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 gets plots like this, and like obviously he's not the lone writer of any of these movies, but like that influence. No, but his, 
is felt. His IMDb sure. page, his IMDb page is pretty impressive. Yeah. If you go through it, you're like, oh, I, I'm, I, I didn't start paying attention to who was writing these things until. Yeah. I was, I was probably too old to have not have been paying attention. And I, sometimes I go back, I'm like, wait, what? This one person did, did all of this? Yeah. Um, I actually, you know, and I, I really liked the first Jack Reacher movie. I'll go ahead and say it. That was another Macquarie movie that Tom Cruise was in. I, I, I liked it. I thought it was good. I, I don't have any affinity for that character. I never read any of the books, but so I understand that he's meant to be like enormous. And uh, Alan Richson, who plays him on the Amazon show, is really big. <laughs> he's a huge man. But I liked that first movie quite a bit. Anyway, I mean, neither he, he wrote he wrote Edge of Tomorrow, which is yeah. one of the smartest. Wait, do you mean movies. Live, Die, Repeat? Uh, I think they've Edge gone back to calling it Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. 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 I don't. Some of us do not acknowledge I, I think they repeat. undid yeah. that change. I don't know why they decided to change the title after the movie had already come out. What a stupid thing to do. <laughs> anyway, we don't we don't run studios, although we ought to. Um, Coca-Cola, the movie. <laughs> First thing so, I'm going to green light. The big car chase where Palm Clemente was in that giant truck and just smashes through stuff. I and having fun and having fun like oh that's she's such a great like hench hench person who ends up mattering at the end and also didn't die thought she was going to be dead didn't die good for them um <laughs> she was excellent paris the name of the character um uh i she's kind of ba- she's basically harley quinn like if this movie had a harley quinn that's what she would be because she's like incredibly capable clearly very smart and just absolutely unhinged unhinged um, in the best way yeah in the way you want like a character like that to be she i think she ranks as like top three like secondary villain or hench person or whatever you want to call them um she's she's great um but that whole sequence where like they're you know they're stuck together and they're driving through with these little teeny cars and they keep going from car to car to car and like um the police are after them but also the the gang is after them and just like, ah, man, I, I thought that was so well done. And you see other movies recently. Did you did you see the. um Oh, crud. I can't remember the name of it. The that Russo Brothers movie that had Ryan Gosling in it and. Uh, the Gray Man, the Gray, uh, man. the Gray Man. No, I have not seen it yet because you know why? Kind of got middling reviews and it got pushed it back. I, I appreciate a lot of what they were doing in that. And there's a really big kind of impressive, uh, lengthy uh, set set piece action sequence in that movie it takes place in Prague, um, which kind of has a similar vibe. But like you just watch this and you go, oh, that's done a lot. It, it It's better. It's a little bit better. It's a lot better paced. It's um, the geography is a lot easier to kind of figure out what's going on. And it was all done or most a lot of it was done practically, which is just another thing that they do in these movies that I find so fascinating. And uh, I'm just impressed by. Um, so I really like that sequence a lot. You also learn a lot. Action sequences for the sake of action are, you know, can be impressive, but they don't do anything. They have to move the story forward. And also chiefly, they have to give you character development. And I think that sequence kind of is what really brings Grace and Ethan together, at least for them. I mean, she still runs away at the end and like is not fully on board, but like, but then that like dovetails into like her you know, agreeing to take part in the mission, it kind of getting botched, but she's still going through with it and everything like that. And then them escaping the train together at the end, um, where she, uh, Haley Atwell has said in interviews recently where like, 
the, the moment where where Ethan goes, do you trust me? And she just shakes her head. No, like that was her <laughs> real like, reaction because she was really scared to do that jump and then kind of had to remember, oh, this is a movie. I need to do that bit. And they left it in because it's so good. It's great. Um, it, it makes a case. I, I am the biggest sucker for people in movies acting like actual people. Yes. Yeah, like you talk, like we talked about uh, old Jasper Briggs checking people's necks. Yep, thank yep. you. That's yep. uh, that's what I'm just okay. Yeah, this is a person. That's what yeah. I would be doing. I like this person. Uh, also, my wife really appreciated that she puts her hair up before she does some of these <laughs> hair raising things because it's like you wouldn't just like leave your hair down. Like you, you got to get that out of your face, man. Um, which I thought was great. Um, but God, it just kept going. Like, I know it's a long train. It's an Orient Express, a famously long train. <laughs> um, but it just every car that like goes off the cliff, it just keeps and they have to keep jumping up and they get and then just keeps. God dang, that's such a good and like tense sequence. Like not since Gravity, I th- the movie Gravity has my butt been that puckered at during a sequence in a movie. Um, well, I'll just say between this movie and John Wick Chapter Four. Right. The idea that scenes can be too long is just throw out that idea. They can be as long as they can be if they're awesome. Right. You know, because I, when I, I mean this, those are the two movies I think are just instant. I know you hate the phrase instant classic. I'm sorry, but I do think like two movies that uh, we're going to just have in the upper echelon of action movies for the rest of time. And both of them have sequences that just seem like they're going to end and then they go on. And then they go on and they seem like they're going to end and then they keep going and going. And you're like, I don't care. This could be four hours. Let's go. Keep keep the train. Keep the train pieces coming. Let's see how he gets past a, a sink. <laughs> it works because it tells a story on its own. Like you could watch that whole action sequence. And, and you know, I mentioned Jackie Chan earlier. Jackie Chan got a lot of his um, kind of uh, sensibility from uh, Buster Keaton, you know, back in the 20s. Like you had these big, huge, crazy action sequences that told a story on their own. And so you watch them and you're in awe because, oh, these people are actually doing these things. But you're also in awe because it's like this character that we like. I mean, you could also look at like Harold Lloyd's Safety Last where he's climbing up a building and it's just like, oh, oh. and it, I mean, it looks like he's about to fall at any moment. Like he, he, these are things that are really ingrained in humanity to be like, it's exciting because of what they're doing, but also I care about that person that character um and so yeah like i i was just like surely this train this car is going to be the last one. Oh nope it just keeps like it just keeps 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 going um yeah i thought that i mean what is it uh kubrick said a great movie has four was it four or five great sequences and good scenes and no bad scenes like what what do you need what do you need more than that i don't think there's anything bad and Dead Reckoning Part One. I just think personally, like I liked Rogue Nation and Fallout more. And maybe you're right that because I've seen them more, that is sort of like uh, I, I have more kind of affinity for those ones. And if I when I was going to say if when I see this one again, I will probably change my mind. And, I, and I do think I don't think it's a I don't I don't mean this as a criticism. This is a complicated plot. It's presented in such a way that you don't need to know all of the very minute specifics to to appreciate it, which is why it's not a problem. But I think on repeated viewings, as we really kind of like, I wish I wish I could have watched three or four of these scenes with subtitles on just to get, you know, some of the exacts going. Mm -hmm. Um, But so I think I think as we kind of figure that out with more time, it'll get even better because any barriers to 
to being a hundred percent in will be will be taken away that way. Again, yeah. it's not a criticism. Did not knowing like I, I could tell you the general plot. I can't tell you all of the specifics of the entity's plan or, you know, the Carrie Elway's character, what exactly he's planning or it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. But I do think it'll be even better when we can answer all of those questions. Yeah. And, and a lot of that, the politics of it are gen are deliberately murky. We're like, mm. like we had talked about, uh, offline, like, uh, technically online, but off microphone. Um, like does Kittredge, uh, qualify as a villain in this movie and you think he leans yes and i don't but i think yeah. it's because everybody is sort of amoral i mean elwes seems like definitely because he's he's making a deal with uh gabriel or tries to and kittredge for some reason for me doesn't because he's making a deal with the white widow who is also kind of amoral and neutral so like I, for some reason like that's the level and i don't know why um but I think Kittredge is going to end up being kind of not a not a full villain. I think he's going to be what he's always been, which is kind of a government guy trying to, you know, do, quote unquote, right by his government. Well, at the end of the movie, they have that um, de facto debriefing with Kittredge, giving him, like leaving the voicemail for him. Yeah. And it definitely seems like he's sort of – I don't think he – I think if he could magically have control of the entity for the U.S., he would. But it definitely also feels like he's like, well, Ethan – I certainly hope you win versus any other country. Like Correct. if you're not going to, yeah. if you're not, which takes a little bit of the villainous sting off, but I do think he qualifies as a villain in this one because he knows, he knows in his heart that destroying the entity is the right thing to do, but he would much rather just make the U S an unbeatable superpower for all right. of eternity, yeah. which I think is why he, he, in this one, not in the first movie, but in, uh, so when I rank all of the villains, I, I separate Kittredge. First movie, not a villain, just an antagonist. Second movie, Mission Impossible 7, he is a villain. But it is a fine line. I agree. Um, which I think is a good segue. So we're going to take a little break, and then we come back. We're going to talk about the franchise as a whole. Uh, but before we do that, like, I th- thumbs up. Big thumbs up for this movie. Um, even though I didn't like it as much as the other two uh, McCory ones, I think it's it still tops. Like, it's, it's I mean, great. It, it, it's like, what do you think? An A plus versus an A? I mean, that's yeah, what, exactly. like, yeah. you know, like that's what we're talking about with these. these it's a matter of degrees point. on all of these. Like, yeah. So anyway, but we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about the franchise as a whole and then we'll wrap it up. All right. Right here. Laser focus. And we're back. Uh, so, yeah, let's let's dive right in. Do you want to start? We've got a few like superlatives, like favorites of, you know, the whole series. Uh, all of them, uh, if you don't own them uh, on disc, they are streaming on Paramount Plus and probably other places, too. Um, uh, but, yeah, let's um, let's just start with our, our I guess, our um, film ranking as of right now. Our, the seven movies from our least favorite to the most favorite. We'll just kind of go back and forth. Um, and we can kind of talk about it as we go. I, I bet we're both in complete agreement on what the bottom one is. Uh, that would be Mission Impossible 2. Yeah, that's a, uh, the only true dud. Like, and and dud is the kindest way I can describe that movie. That is a very bad movie. <laughs> yeah, that was in the in the watch that my wife. So here's what we did. Um, because I, wa- I knew that we were going to go see the seventh one, my wife and I, and she told me she had seen the first one, but didn't really remember it. So I was like, well, let's start with the third one. Cause the third one is like, if you're going to watch the later ones, 
three is sort of the beginning of that because obviously you have Julia, you have a lot of the beginning, you did the first one with Benji in it. Like there's a lot of good firsts in that one. So we went three, four, five, six, then went and saw the new one and then came back and uh, she was like, well, can we watch the first one? And I was like, yeah. And then I was like, well, do you want to, I guess, do you want to watch the second one? She's like, well, yeah, she knew it was the worst one. And yet she was still like, well, that one is the only one I didn't like. So it, I watched that one the most of any of them because it came out when I was 16 years old. I'm sorry. And, I'm so sorry. I owned, I owned the soundtrack. Look, I was, I was prime, uh, kind of like metalhead kid for this movie to come out. Uh, I also had not really seen that many, uh, John Woo movies at that point. There are so many better John Woo movies. <laughs> I would imagine uh, every other John Woo movie is better. I, I it's mean, gotta be close. Paycheck's not good. Um, <laughs> But I think, I mean, the the one that is closest to this in style and tone is Face Off, and Face Off is a million times better because it knows what it is, whereas this one doesn't quite know what it is. There was I also will, a I lot will, of behind-the-scenes stuff that apparently was not good on this one. So anyway. I, I will say this. There are a couple of moments in 2 that are, are really good. Yeah. I think, I think Mission Impossible 2 has the best uh, mask scene because it's a double mask where Ethan puts his mask on Hugh Stamp. Uh-huh. That's, that's Yep, that's the henchman's name, Hugh Stamp. Sure is. And he puts a Hugh Stamp on himself, which gets Sean Ambrose, the worst villain in the franchise, to kill his own friend. And that's a very cool moment. Uh, Ethan's hair is awesome in that movie. Yeah. And um, that's the movie. <laughs> I was going to make a joke when we were talking about fist fights in the in the Mission Impossible movies. The fist fight on the beach. Oh my god. Where they're just like haymaker after haymaker. Like it's so badly it's poorly <sighs> edited. It's poorly, poorly edited. edited. If you if if you are doing a rewatch and I I'm a completist, I would not skip to um especially because the rock climbing skills that Ethan shows in 2 do pay off in in the 6th movie. Yep. So That's true. Um yeah. uh if you watch two, it's it's among the worst edited movies I've ever seen. Uh, no hyperbole. It's, it's really, really bad. And it's something – it's almost worth just paying attention to it just to take your mind off of everything else that's going on. <laughs> it's so of the time too. Like there's a lot of like – there's slow motion, which is a John Woo thing. But it's it, it's that kind of like digital slow-mo that they would – they would do for movies where they still shot it on film. But it was early enough because this movie came out in, two, what, 99 or 2000. Um yeah anyway it's it's not good that was the one but i knew so many of the lines and i used to i used to mimic um do gray scott all the time because he's got such a, a, a fun accent but where he's like put that bastard down it's my favorite i have a theory by the way i i don't not only do i not like the way the character's written or his performance i don't think scottish people make good for good villains because wow. who, who dislikes scottish people i mean it, a case is to be made that Sean Ambrose is unlikable. Yeah, but I'm saying that's what I mean. Like I hear a Scottish accent, I'm like, oh, all right, this yeah. guy. Oh yeah. Do Do you know this the, guy's going to be awesome? Do you know the the fun story about what role Duke Gray Scott turned down to do this? Oh, movie? it is one of the one of the sliding doors moments in Hollywood history. He was supposed to be Wolverine. I can't believe it. I can't. I, can't, it. I cannot. I. I I mean, talk about what is the X-Men franchise and what are superhero franchises like if Hugh Jackman is not Wolverine? I don't know. Would would those movies have been as successful? Would the character have been as successful? Certainly, it's arguable. I mean, I don't, actually don't think you can argue it. 
Hugh Jackman would not be a star the way he is today if he hadn't been Wolverine because he was he was a stage actor in Australia. You know, um, yeah, fascinating kind of sliding door things. But um, I I also get like, would you rather be the villain in a sequel to a movie that, you know, was a hit? Also, Mission Impossible 2 was the highest grossing movie of that year. So it's yeah. not like it didn't do well, but I, I think history has not smiled on that movie. Uh, anyway, okay, so let's move on. Uh, our sixth favorite movie, yours is? I got three. Me too. I got okay, so three. I, yeah. I think it does a lot of, it's still watchable. I still think it's like, it's not a dud the way that MI2 is a dud. But No, it's just kind of boring. It's kind of boring. With the exception, kind of... if it wasn't for Philip Seymour Hoffman as Owen Davian, uh, his performance is outstanding um, as the villain. I, I don't think that movie, because the stunts are fine. The plot's fine. That movie has ten, 10 running scenes, yeah. but J, but but uh, the most out of any of them. But J.J. Abrams decided not to show the heist, and it's you watch these movies and the heists are always like whatever they have to steal is always one of the best parts. And J.J. Abrams is like nah, nah, let's let's we got to spend some more time running. It's just a boring film, but it's a very important movie to the frame. I don't think without Philip Seymour Hoffman, I'm not sure we ever get Mission Impossible four, let alone yeah. any other ones, and. This movie also really embraces the concept of kind of like the team, yes. which becomes so important in the future movies. So an important movie that saves the franchise, I think, but is ultimately pretty boring. And it also gives us more. It's not just like it actually makes Ethan Hunt a care like a person. You know what I mean? Like he's not just a brash agent like he is in the first two movies. Like he is a, a, a person who understands that like I I should want to have a life. I do want to have a life. And yet I know I can't because of all this stuff. Um, I never thought Julia was going to be as important, especially when she's not really in the next one. I was like, okay, well, I guess she's not really important. And then like, she's such an important part in six. So like, anyway, uh, okay. Your fifth favorite one. I have the original movie at number five, but, but that does not mean I dislike it. I just think it's a, it's a tight little thriller. And it works and it, it holds up and it has some great scenes. I just think that when we get into the name error, uh, error, sorry, my accent, my Boston accent means <laughs> I put so the Boston accent. Sometimes you put R's on words that don't have them. The yep. name title era of um, four, five, six and seven, I just think are, are different quality. So the first movie ends up in the fifth spot for me, kind of just because that's the only place it can go. Uh, I put I. I would have done that, I think, uh, had, but this rewatch, I thought it was uh, amazing. I think it's much better than that, so I put it much higher. Uh, my fifth one is Ghost Protocol, which I think is, of the name era, it is the least good one. Yeah, we're, we're going to have a big disagreement on that when we get to it where I rank like it. It seems like it. So yeah, so we will, uh, number four for you. Uh, okay, so I think before my rewatch, I would have put six here. But again, mm -hmm. we're now talking we're if anyone's going to yell about this list, understand that I'm basically picking movies that if you I gave them a score and a zero to 100, I'm talking like 199, 98, 98. Yeah. Like that's exactly. so exactly. and depending on how I feel any week, I might move a, a movie up one point or not. So so I think now I might actually put five there. But okay. a, but two weeks ago, I would have had five as my second favorite. So okay. that's that's how much this has changed. Um, it's it's fantastic, and it's really I, I said as I said earlier, a lot of this list just comes down to 
I like this action sequence in these action Wait, sequences. So which which one movie. did you actually? So you put you put five on your list. I Is put yeah. I have um, I have five. Rogue, Rogue Nation. Okay. Rogue Nation. Uh, I agree. I think it's I think it's great. Um, there's they really. I mean, even in MI two, they realize that Tom Cruise on a motorcycle looks awesome. <laughs> he should always be on motorcycles. Um, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in that one. Um, I put that one higher on my list too. My number uh, four is uh, the new one, which we've talked okay. about excessively. Yeah, I feel like we got into that already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number three on your list. Okay, this is where it's it's already difficult. I think this is where I would put Fallout. Okay. Um, but I will say this. When I saw Fallout for the first time, if I had four and five as equally amazing, 100 out of 100, I had Fallout at like 98, like an, a score mm. of 98. It worked even better for me on this most recent rewatch. Um, it's, again, they, these movies just... They they figured it out, and mm-hmm. it's almost like I, that movie does something that I love, which is it doesn't let the secret villain be a secret for too long. I think that movies that are, try to be coy, um, d- they ultimately don't work because you don't feel it in the moment. August Walker is such a great villain. Yeah, he really he's, is, just, and because he, he's he's like Ethan, but he's he's also the opposite of Ethan. Like Ethan is cerebral and wants to save people, and August Walker is just this big meatball who's punching people to death uh, it's yeah. great it's such a great dichotomy and it's it's such and a it's, great movie it's funny to me that he's the one who wrote the like manifesto for the syndicate and everything like that it's just like this guy's an idiot like not he's not an idiot but you know what i mean like he's not he's not a thinking person he's a he's a blunt instrument like he's basically that's why i think he would act, he would actually be a really good and people have talked about it for i think henry cavill would be a good james bond because like he he can do all that stuff and also james bond's a bit stupid and I think you kind of need like he's smart, but he's also kind of stupid. Um, uh, I think number- I held it. I'm oh, sorry. I was going to say, I think, you know, I think I kind of held against that movie originally is that the final setting feels so unspectacular compared to all these other settings in these movies. They're just all of a sudden out in the wilderness, like at this little camp where the atomic weapons are. And so I think the first time I was like, eh, that felt a little bit small in terms of scope. Wasn't a problem for me this time. It, it, I loved everything about it. I mean, yeah, but like when they're chasing each other in helicopters, you want like a big <laughs> snowy mountain range. <laughs> uh, the helicopter chase. It just it's sucks. so it, good. And it gets better every time. Like, yeah. Because another thing that just goes on and on and on yep. and it doesn't matter. It's great. Get, get, fly him for an hour. Let's go. I love it. Yeah. Uh, number three for me is the first one. I think uh, it is spectacular outstanding i think it is a tight little thriller i think obviously you know but like so many of the things that seem that are kind of like small in scale in the that they did in the first one feel so big even today i mean like the sequence when he's trying to get the knock list and he's coming down from the ceiling that is so intense um i think it's it's one of the best um thriller sequences ever um, I also think it's the best Brian De Palma movie. Come at me. Like I, even some of his better seventies and eighties stuff. Like, I think it's, I think it's tremendous. I will not is say, the, go ahead. I was gonna say, is that the best use of sweat in a movie as, oh, a, yeah, as a plot device? Absolutely. He had to, he has to catch a bead of sweat because that is how, um, 
And, th- and this is the heist that you want to see. You want to see this heist. I, I, I don't know how you could have watched that movie, which like you are 100% right. This That scene is like still incredible. Yeah. I don't know how you can watch that movie and be like, wow, I want to make a Mission Impossible movie, but cut this scene out. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I don't need Ethan Hunt stealing anything on camera. Do it off camera, Ethan. We're not interested. Uh, choices were made for three and uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Number two, top two. Okay. I, I'm really fighting this. I don't want to, I'm, I'm going to overcorrect recency bias and I'm going to put seven at number two. Okay. I'm, I think I, I, there's a, there's, this is the first time I have seriously reconsidered my number one position and I, reserve the right to change it after I see this movie for the second time. Sure. Both up and down, both up and down. Um, but I really, it's just the, this movie is darker, but it's not needlessly darker. Right. Like it's not, it, they didn't decide to, to, to go green. We talked about the, the use of comic relief, which is intentional, you know, because they, they didn't want this to be dark and depressing. They still wanted it to be entertaining, which is what these movies are first and foremost. Um, I just think it really, it it works. It's really emotional in ways that haven't been since I probably the fourth movie where Brant is dealing with, mm. you know, what he thinks is his failure with Julia. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, that's how much I loved it. And, you know, we talk about, yeah, no one, no one, it, nations are not going to fall and rise based on if we give a movie four and a half or five stars. I get that. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I was really like, do I want to, when I, when I review this, I was like, is, do I want to give it four and a half or five? And then I just decided to be on the right side of history and went with the five. I think history is going to prove me right on this one. I, yeah, it's great. Um, I'm going to say my two and one, uh, in a row, uh, uh, two is rogue nation. One is fallout. I think that movie is impeccable. I had such a great time watching it. It's the one that made me go, Oh yeah, this, these movies are outstanding and, uh, everything about it, uh, works for me. I love it. So that means your number one is ghost protocol. Yes. And I will defend this. I have, it do. doesn't, I think doesn't even absolutely incorrect. So, but. All right. So it doesn't again, again, I think four, five, six, and seven, the all of equal quality, or just, we're talking about phenomenal action films. Sure. It's, so it's for a preferential me, thing. okay. So for me, I know the team, doesn't really stay together, but the team in Ghost Protocol is fantastic. Uh, yeah, they sure. work really well. All of the characters are dealing with their own thing, like their own pain and failures that tie into the plot, and they really matter, and it gives them all a foundation. But what it comes down to for me, because that ends up being true in all of them, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Ilsa, what Ilsa is dealing with in in Rogue Nation is as good as any character. And and by the way, I think Ilsa is as good as any character in the franchise. Like, yeah. Um, so what it ultimately comes down to for me is that even if the villain is just good, not great, like the other movies, I think the action sequences in Ghost Protocol are still the best. I think everything that happens around the Burj Khalifa, from the time they get there to the time he, Ethan is done running through that sandstorm, is just impeccable it's as good as it gets the action of him climbing on the outside so it's you've got him climbing on the outside of the building you've got the double meeting switcheroo that has to be improvised on the on the on the go and then you've got the sandstorm which i would put up against any scene any sequence in any of these movies so where if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna come and say like i am i think all these movies are basically a pluses 
you're just looking for what works for you personally. And Ghost Protocol, every time I watch it, still is the one that gets me revved up the most. That's interesting. I, I think, clearly, of the new era, I think it's good. Like, we're, we are, again, talking about degrees and preference. Um, it, I, the Sandstorm doesn't really work for me because you can't see anything. Uh, it, it, it hides the action. <laughs> I think that that is a, that is in, I loved it when it came out. I still love it. Kyle, I still love it. Um, but, uh, the cleanliness or I guess the, the, um, clearness of all the action scenes in the, the next three of the Macquarie ones, I think are just miles better and not that they're bad in ghost protocol i do want to hasten to add and i do love the sequence in the the double switcheroo um uh heist or, or you know meeting sequence i think that's great i think leah sedu is a is a great like secondary villain um really really cool character uh also it ties into you know uh paul Patton's character hates her because she's the one who killed uh, Sawyer. <laughs> and so I get all that. I think climbing the Burj Khalifa is fine. Um, oh, I, oh, cut. like it's impressive, the- but I don't care. I think that's my big thing about that one. I don't care because it's by that point. I think I'm like, all right, we get, we get it, Tom. You know what I mean? Like, but that's the first needed time rogue nation for me to kind of bring me back to the franchise. I have to see, say. but that's the first, that's like the first time that they really, really get out there with these stunts. Like, He's yeah. outside the world's talk. You are. I know he is. Mind. I'm not saying he's not. <laughs> I mean, my. So you, you know, you're not the only one who got his wife to start watching these. I've been telling my wife for years, like you would love these movies. So she finally started them, and she said when one of his gloves stopped working, her her palms started to sweat. And I'm like, yes, like he's just sticking outside. It's like it's it's incredible, and the fact that he, you know, I try to, I try not to judge the movies based on the realness of him doing it, but I still appreciate it. Sure. You know, and the fact that he's just out there, just, just outside the, the biggest building in the world. It's like, you don't need to do that, but he does it. And it's, it's great. And it's why these, it's why these all work so well. And look, I honestly, like I, I, there's really no ranking of four five, six or seven that someone can give me that I would be, I'd be like, that's terrible. You're wrong. As long as you have two last in one of those four first, we're good. Yeah. You're doing something right. Yeah. I, there was a part of me that I was like, uh, I was like, is two, am I going to like two because I liked it when I was younger? I, d- I do not. I think, I think it's a mess. Um, <laughs> I hated I it more the second time. Yeah. And I, I definitely don't think three is all that. I think it is important. It's more important than it is good. That's yeah. What I think that is, but the rest of it, it's all just a preference thing. I think we love it. Uh, obviously this is a great franchise. We have talked very long about this. So let's do a couple quick superlative flash round. Um, favorite villain. Favorite villain. Uh, Owen Davian is my favorite villain, but Solomon Lane's the best one. Very good. Uh, I would agree with that. I think, um, I don't think I could change anybody's mind about that. Uh, favorite, um, uh, fast-paced vehicle chase. The motorcycle chase in Rogue Nation is the coolest looking one. I'll yeah. say that. Although Dead Reckoning's car chase with them handcuffed is is probably as good as anything that any car chase we've seen. 
I, I legitimately was like, how are they going to up? I mean, we've seen them do car chases in these. We've seen them do European street car chases. And yet that we just one saw was... Fast X do a car chase through Rome, including on the Spanish steps. Yeah. And this <laughs> like, one puts it out. It just of... came out. I know. Um, the one in the one in Paris in Fallout is really good. Um, but I think the Dead Reckoning one is better. Um, but I agree, like the the motorcycle chase through whatever city they're in in uh, um, Rogue Nation is really the, the car chase right before the motorcycle chase is also awesome. Yeah, the, and 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 talk about Ethan's best moments. Ethan is dead. <laughs> Ethan dies. Yeah, they 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 bring him back, and then he's like, "Okay, I'll drive Benji," and Benji's like, "What?" <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. Oh man, those movies are good. Okay, um, <laughs> I don't know if you knew that. These movies are good. Favorites. Um, uh, okay, let's do Ethan Hunt. Best, best Ethan Hunt moment. What's your favorite Ethan Hunt moment? <sighs> Let me not say the Burj Khalifa just because I just talked about why I love sure. that so much. Um, I don't know. Like, it's not. Is it him driving it off the car? Driving the, like, crashing the car off the car lift just in terms of, like, what a lunatic what like, he will do to get this yes thing. yeah well, yeah i maybe may i'd have to I, i'm going to do this come to nerdist.com soon and you'll see ethan hunt's <laughs> best moments but yeah. in terms of in terms of like this is a complete lunatic this that's probably it yeah i think uh mine is um the fight with walker uh at the end when they're when after they've crashed i mean crash the oh the crash the helicopter <laughs> crashing a helicopter that's the thing <laughs> <laughs> he's he's just and like the fact that we don't see him hit the button we just cut that it's benji and elsa going and 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 then luther and uh julia as well and then okay i get we didn't blow up i guess he must have done it like it's it's so good um another one that i another one uh uh well let's just put dovetail into this other one favorite fake out because I'll say my favorite fake out is the Wolf Blitzer fake out in Fallout, where they get the the Norwegian scientist to believe that there was an actual nuclear weapon exploding. Uh, I thought I, that was so good because I didn't actually see. It. I was like, wait, did they did they just do that? And of course, of course, they didn't just do that. The uh, I, the one and two with Hugh Stamp, the double fake out, the double mask fake out is is probably the best. Good. Um, yeah, but just because we talked about I broke that, broke his jewel. That's the other line. Um. The way that they set up Walker in Fallout, everything about that is great. Yeah, especially because you think you think this other guy has has got it over them, and then and then it's all part of the plan. And Benji gets to wear his mask, so which is you know. Oh, good that for is Benji. great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, also, we didn't even talk about the Halo jump in Fallout, which leads directly into that amazing bathroom fight scene. Fallout is really good. Yeah, Fallout's so good. Oh, God. Let's re-rank these movies next okay. week, and I'll probably have we'll followed yeah. first. We'll do it again. Um, what, do you have any other uh, superlatives you want to shout out real fast before we leave? Uh, I have been tracking all of Ethan's runs. Oh, yeah. Um, Which is the most impactful run? Um, I think the most impactful run is in the first movie when he blows up the fish tank and runs yeah. out the window. It's You talk like... I don't think it's necessarily the best run but just because it's short, but in, in terms of impactful, that's, I think, the moment where you really appreciate who Ethan Hunt is and what he can do. Yeah. Because he escapes a room of people like him. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. such a great shot. Yeah. Well, and that, that movie really sets up, this is what Ethan pays attention to. Like, he's like, I saw that guy there. I saw that guy there. I saw that guy over here. And then, like, um, once 
Jim tells him, you know, when he comes back from the dead, he tells him like what, what happened. And then Ethan's talking out using the fake thing that Jim had just told him, but the flashbacks show him what really happened. And so you can tell he's, he realizes what's really going on, but he's making Jim think that he's buying it all. I, I thought that stuff was really good. Um, Another we forgot one, by the way. We forgot one of the best fake outs: the Chief Atley meeting with the Prime Minister. Yeah, because with with uh, Hanley, the whole speech like he can be anyone, he could be anywhere. There is no place he can't get to, and he's standing there. Yeah, he's standing there. It is fantastic. Oh, I love these movies. Have you? I don't know if you picked up on that. And one of the best um, kind of like one scene or two scene um, cameos is um, Tom Hollander as the prime minister in that scene, too, where he's, he's like very believable. He comes out of the he's like, oh, uh, this man just saved your life. And he's like, oh, did he? Well, thank you. <laughs> like, it's just great. Um, favorite villain death. And then we can peace. Oh, favorite villain death. <sighs> the reason I asked this well, is who do you I, have uh, Jim Phelps death in the first one. This he gets dragged under a helicopter on a the back of a speeding train uh af- that has just been blown up like that is an absolute all-time villain death all right i think i think i got august walker i just because he's all burned up and twisted and he's so convinced that he's stronger than this guy i think i have that i'll tell you what i have is the worst villain death yeah is the best villain owen davian uh, who just they just kind of have a little fight and then he gets hit by a car and it's yeah. like what that's bad what was happening here yeah do you did jj abrams did like did he have pictures of someone that they let him shoot that script like what was going on he loves the subverting stuff? expectations and one of the I things mean, he subverts is that the ending is satisfying you have Philip Seymour Hoffman as this amazing villain, and you're yeah. like, okay, here's how here's how he dies. There's a brief fight. He inexplicably <laughs> loses, even though he's dominating the fight, and then he gets hit by a car. It has no significance to anything that's happened. Yeah, nothing. Yeah. There's n- no. Oh well, um, but hey, if you haven't seen Dead Reckoning yet, why did you listen to this whole thing? But um, let, let us know what you think of the Mission Impossible franchise. Send us your rankings and we can go over them at some point. Again, that's laserfocused at nerdist.com. You can read Mikey's review. You can also read all of uh, his various rankings um, that he has been putting together, diligently rewatching these movies, making notes, everything like that. Find those at nerdist.com. Um, Mikey, where can people find you? Uh, are you on any of these new platforms that people are using these days? Yes, I'm on threads, even though I hate it. I'm house <laughs> underscore house underscore Walsh. It's way too positive for me. Although if you want to talk about these movies, then I will be as positive as anybody on the planet. And I'm still at Twitter. Burger Mike. Womp womp. I, and I'm not on Blue Sky because I'm the last person who didn't get an invite to Noah's Ark. So <laughs> if you have an invite, if you have an invite, send it my way. <laughs> Uh, I am on Blue Sky at Kyle D. Anderson. Um, I have not posted that much yet, but I'm, I'm going to hope to. I'm not on threads yet because I got off Facebook. Why would I want to get on another thing that Zuckerberg owns? Um, and uh, you can follow me on Instagram, uh, functional underscore nerd, uh, and on Letterboxd, Kyle underscore Anderson. Uh, you can follow my journey having rewatched all these Mission Impossible movies. Okay. Thank you again, Mikey. Thank you for being on the show, as always, and talking way too long about a franchise. I uh, can't wait to do it again. Um, and so until next week, I've been Kyle Anderson and join us next week on laser focus when my guest will be a different person.
Laser Focus is a production of Nerdist Industries and Legendary Digital Networks. It was produced, edited, and hosted by me, Kyle Anderson. For more, visit Nerdist.com. Nerdist.com